You are listening to the Thursday afternoon catch-up episode of In Love With The Process, and I'm recording this on Friday. So, uh, yeah, your boy's on top of shit. <laughs> I'm your host, Mike Betchy. How are you? What's happening? What's new? What's going on? Um, so, yeah, I didn't get the release done uh, for yesterday because I have been editing. Um, I have been deep in the cut for the next, well, actually, I'm like two ahead of the B. Miller releases. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my Instagram this morning, but we did release the first piece last night, which it's it's an interesting thing to describe, right? Because we're doing something a little bit different for a musician. Most of the time, we're hired to just do music videos, right? I'm a label shows up and they say, hey, here's a certain amount of money, do a music video, um, and then maybe we'll do two music videos per album release and we'll go for there. The It's really sort of an outdated formula for doing a release for a musician at this point because it really was stemmed from the days of MTV when you would have a music video that would get put on the channel that everybody was watching, everybody had eyes on, uh, you were fighting for uh, airtime, right? Because the video would either, like, we, we did a lot of metal videos back in the day, so you'd have to wait around for Headbangers Ball to show up, but uh, maybe you were watching TRL, right? And then uh, you would have to fight against the Limp Bizkit videos and the InSync videos and the Britney Spears videos to try to get your stuff on the air. Um, but, uh, yeah, so things have changed a bit. And that formula slowly worked its way into the YouTube realm. And there still were people that were watching music videos regularly on YouTube. Um, you had a bunch of different music video outlets on YouTube, channels on YouTube that were still getting traffic. But that slowly, slowly has been weaning away, right? Realistically, it's been weaning away. Um, and uh, we're now totally in the period of social media and fast consumable content. So our argument, Gina and my argument, has been, why are we breaking our backs to shoot uh, music videos traditionally? Why are we running around without a lot of money? Because let's be real, labels and artists aren't paying the same amount of money that they used to. Um, no matter how you shake it, it really comes down to the fact that there isn't that income coming in from CDs and from uh, physical media purchases, Right. So at that point, how, what am I going to do, right? Someone's going to call me up and say, hey, we have $20,000 to do a music video that, and a treatment idea that would cost about $150,000. Um, and what we've done in the past as young filmmakers and, and what a lot of young filmmakers still do is you break your back because you feel like it's worth the time and the energy, Right. If I make a great video, then I'll get all this attention and then I'll go on to direct feature films. Well, I think we've established on this show that that necessarily isn't a path that is successful for most people these days. Um, so then you're just sort of breaking your back for credit, which oftentimes you don't even get when the music video comes out, depending upon the label and the artist. Um, there's a lot of artists out there that claim to be directing their own material and they're hiring a ghost director that comes in to do this stuff. So I kept asking, like, what the fuck are we doing this for? Why are we breaking our back? Why are we running all over the place to shoot inserts and details 
of music videos. Gina and I spent a lot of time going through all of our favorite music videos and all these music videos that really stand out to us. And we realized that there were more often than not places where we were heavily connecting with the artist and how the artist was performing. And then we would cut away to some like narrative that doesn't make any fucking sense, was usually derivative of someone else's work. I don't know how many videos I just saw recently, which was just an artist blowing cash to be put in a movie that they've always wanted to be in. I don't know who it was, and I'm not going to blow up their shit, but I just saw some high-priced music video of an artist being inserted into Kill Bill recently. It's at that point where you're like, what are we doing here, right? And so... I also see, I don't think it's always on the fault of the artists when they come up with these ideas. I think it also comes down to the filmmakers and us, right? How often do you take on a music video and then you start to inject your own dreams and wishes of being a narrative filmmaker into their music video, right? You want to shoot these sequences to look like a David Fincher film. You go through the process and how important it is to do the cutaways the same way he does the cutaways in the piece. And the next thing you know, all you're doing is working very hard for a real piece that, truth be told, and I've been there, when you get into rooms to pitch movies, uh, fucking executives don't give a shit about your music videos. They just don't. Right? So that's kind of a waste of time, too. So our whole process was this. What if we did pieces that were focused, hyper-focused on the mood and the attitude and what the artist wants to convey personally and try to get the audience to connect specifically with that attitude and mood and connect specifically with an artist, right? Now, traditionally, if we were to do a one-setup music video for MTV shown in that format, which is like, okay, you have a three-and-a-half-minute song, that usually means you need about three or four different looks three or four different change-ups, right? You shoot them in the fucking warehouse underneath the fluorescent lights. Then you shoot them in the house. And with the backstory, he's a, he's a military guy that returned from the army and his wife is upset because she has a baby and can't afford it. You know what I mean? Like all those tropes that you see in those music videos, they're cut that way to keep you tuned in for the three and a half minute period within that format. The reality of the world is People are watching stuff and digesting stuff more on their stories and in their TikTok uh, slides or whatever they call those fucking things than they are on YouTube as music videos. And I'm not saying there aren't people out there that appreciate music videos. There's a lot of us music video nerds that are still out there that like to watch a great music video. And most of the time, the greats are the ones that are done by the top tier artists that are putting the money down for them. Big bucks down for them. You know, if we're talking like The weekend, you're talking like Beyonce, you're talking the big acts and pop acts that know this shit. Um, and they make their money back because they will sell tour tickets at that point going doing that. Um, and they'll sell merch at that point. Um, so look at uh, Tyler Swift and how much her fucking tickets went for the last show that she did. It's insane. So of course she's going to drop a few million dollars on music videos. So when you're working with smaller acts, and by smaller acts, I mean everybody underneath Tyler Swift, okay? So when you're working with people at that level, you have to be creative, and you have to understand where eyes are and what eyes are looking at. And I did a whole episode prior to this, which I'm sure you guys have heard, about what gets the algorithm hot on Instagram. And it's really negativity, it's dopamine rush shit, 
right? Negativity, it's food stuff, it's cheeseburgers, it's boobs, it's tits, right? It's all that kind of stuff that triggers it. It's cat videos, dog videos. It's because people just mindlessly tune into that stuff. So if you're making art and you're expecting art to go viral, its chances are one in a million, one in two million, right? For that to happen. So why waste your time and money and energy on a traditional music video? Our theory was, let's do, take that budget, which would be for a music video, and which we would have to do, or a budget that was for like two music videos. Let me be realistic, right? And in those music videos, we would be doing at least five setups, six setups, right? So you're talking 12 setups for the whole thing. Why not take those 12 setups to a single setup per song? That's it. Shoot two or three takes, maybe four takes per song, and go from there. Pretty cool, right? Because now the artist is getting more work. We're uh, getting more um, release material to promote their work, rather. Uh, you're still doing essentially the same level of work that you would be doing before, but you can radically change up these concepts and treatments. And your chances of something going viral are a lot stronger at this point. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what our visuals look like. It's all about the song. My highest viewed music video of my career is Meshuggah Bleed, and it's well over 13 million or 14 million, right? But it's not because of my work. It's because of the song that got it there. So as a visual artist, you're really looking for the right song and a song that hits with an audience. In these days, labels know that it's TikTok. They know it's TikTok. And so what they're looking for is that song that will be co-opted into the mood and the atmosphere of the social period in time, which currently means within the five minutes of how we're feeling socially, right? B had a song like that. She had a prior song. I can't remember the title of it off the top of my head, but it really caught fire on TikTok because it spoke to the depression of youth. It spoke to the depression of COVID. So it was a song that people were just reposting on TikTok and making their own videos to. And suddenly that went viral. You see what I mean? It's a whole different game now. So if you're making content for musicians, you may want to think about it differently. And keep an eye on my Instagram page and Gina's Instagram at Gina Manning and just watch how we roll these things out. I think some of them that we've done are going to be incredibly successful and some of them are going to be very experimental. And it's been a challenge for me as an editor who's used to editing music videos and pacing out music videos to sit here and go, okay, how do I make something interesting with one setup? How do I keep you captivated with one setup? But also, how do I change my internal pacing with this? And you'll see as we release some of these pieces, we try to get pretty creative about it. Um, but it was an interesting shoot. And I can't wait to dig in deeper. We'll have Gina on the show. and We'll talk about it in detail. But there's all sorts of challenges to doing it this way. Uh, one of our great challenges, as a teaser for you, is that uh, she didn't have all her songs written when we shot videos for all of them. Cool, right? So, pretty interesting stuff. If you haven't seen it yet, like I said, check out my Instagram page at Mike Petchy, and definitely check out Gina's Instagram page uh, at Gina Gisella. You'll see all that on my Instagram. I'll post links um, to the videos, and just keep your eye on it. 
because it's interesting the way we're doing stuff. It is a new time for music videos and it's a new way to experiment in this format. And I mean, ultimately, experimentation is where music videos came from initially. You start going back to the early 80s when music videos didn't exist and it was just filmmakers making experimental films with musicians. They started to write the formula for what is a typical music video these days. And that formula now has to change once again. So as artists and as creators and as producers and people that need to make money in order to survive, I urge everybody out there that is into making music videos to think about them differently and really sort of leverage your skills and pressure your artists when they send you bullshit treatments that are just essentially rehashes of movies and the, the label expects so much from you, right? So much from you. So the labels are so scummy, really. Um, at the end of the day, just pressure back and say, look, at the, what are eyes looking at? And I think there's a happy medium right now because we're also challenging and bucking against the desperation that a lot of stu- a lot of labels have when they're looking at TikTok and they're trying to get their artists to just completely curve into the TikTok realm, which is like, look hot, uh, eat a cheeseburger, be depressed, play your song in the background, shoot it with your iPhone, it doesn't mean anything, right? I don't know if that's the method either. I think that there needs to be some art involved. I mean, the nature of TikTok alone is karaoke, where people are finding and being inspired by someone else's art and then remixing it to mean something to them. So who are you as a creator at that point? Are you someone that is a remixer? Are you someone that's creating the art that is being remixed? It's an interesting conversation. It's hot on on the press for us here because we're deep in all of this. And we're looking at the results and seeing how the feedback comes in over the next few weeks. So definitely be part of the process on the whole thing. And we'll keep you up to date. All right, let's see. Also, let's see. Let's go back. I want to re, re-go back and talk about uh, some of these Image comics. Yes, I am an influencer for Image. Yes, they are sending me comics and I am reading them, which I'm excited about. It's such a nerd thing for me to be able to get free comic books in the mail. It's like a... A 13-year-old Michael's dream come true. Uh, What have I been reading this week? I read this book called uh, Old Dog. Now, they send me random issues. So I read issue uh, number three. um, And I really fucking liked it, man. It it reminds me a bit of Sin City. And it reminds me a bit of the old Death Blow comic books, if you're a comic nerd. Uh, Jim Lee's attempt to recreate his version of Sin City with Michael Cray. Um, and maybe it's because the lead character's name is Jack Lynch, and Lynch was one of the side characters in the Team 7 universe at Wildstorm. See how nerdy I get with this shit? I was a big Image fan. Um, But it's really interesting and a really great uh, start for a series. It follows what looks like, like I said, I'm picking up issue 3, so I think I missed the the setup, but uh, it follows this retired spy looks like he's drawn to be probably almost in his 70s uh who's teamed up with his daughter who thinks he's a piece of shit which is fun and uh the book has him going back and finding his old um handler and uh 
it gets really violent, really fun. It takes place in Russia for this one. Um, who did this book? It was uh, Declain. I'm going to f- fuck this name up. Declain Shalvi. Is that it? Shalvi. Um, I dig it, man. I like the storytelling. It's very grim. I could totally see this as a movie, which I feel like is the epidemic running through image in general these days. Um, but you could totally cast um, like... Yeah, I mean, you look at it, you don't want to say Bruce, like an old school Bruce Willis, because that's very Sin City. But uh, oh, you can totally cast like a, uh, who would be good? Like a Harrison Ford would be good in this. Like an old Harrison Ford would be awesome. Um, I think it's a cool book, man. I'm interested. I'm hooked enough to uh, look at other issues on the shelf when I go to the comic book store this week. Uh, I'm curious. And to check it out, like I said, it's called Old Dog. Very great. Um, and I also, let's see, what else do I have here? Uh, I was flipping through the Time Before Time book. I got number 19 issue of that. Um, I love this kind of like sci-fi, uh, high intense suspense stuff. Um, and the art in it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm kind of hooked. So this is another one that's really great. So if you haven't checked it out yet, check out Time Before Time. And I want to circle back to Nemesis because I, you know, with full transparency, I hadn't read the book when I started to read about it on that episode. That's why it sounded like it sounded like a piece of shit when I read it. Um, but I love it, man. I actually read it uh, yesterday and the reboot is super cool. The action is really great in this book. Uh, the panels are, I mean, everybody is influenced by Jim Lee when you get into this realm. And the panels just jump right off the fucking page. And um, I just love who this character is and how cynical and sinister uh, and manipulative this character is. It's like if Batman was the Joker, essentially, right? That's essentially it. And the really fun sort of reveal of how big in scale his plans are to just murder a bunch of people. It's a, <laughs> I sound like such a sociopath. It is a fun fucking read. Um, and I think it's a really cool reboot for this. Um, and side note, um, because I think I had mentioned on the prior show that at one point Tony Scott was going to direct this and then Joe Carnahan was going to direct this. I'm not going to say where I got it from, but I do have my hands on the feature script. So I'm going to read that that no one knows about. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on the show. I'll never tell you guys what's in it. There's probably some legal stuff, but just know that one of the the nice uh, side effects of doing this podcast is I get my hands on some shit that no one really gets to see. And I'm bragging about it. <laughs> I'm excited to read it. I'm excited to read it, man. Um, and then I also got to go, I had an exciting week this week. I got invited to go hang out with a, um, you know, a big Hollywood director. Uh, and I got to go hang out in the edit suite while uh, him and his team were working on the picture lock for his next feature. And that was so much fucking fun. It was a lot of fun to be able to sit there and interact and ask a lot of questions there's nothing cooler than um, finding someone that might be a mentor, right? Because then you get to go in there and ask some serious questions. Like, for instance, I'll watch a, 
a car chase sequence, right? You have a car chase sequence and a car gets shot at, car uh, explodes and flips and does this whole process. Now, we watch these on television and we go, cool, it's just a car chase, right? But as a creator, I go, all right, how, how long did it take to do this? And did you shoot all this or is this first and second unit? And what shots did you shoot? And how are you directing second unit, right? Well, I was in a position where I could stop it and ask those questions, which is amazing, right? You get to sit there and go like, all right, so that action sequence was fucking red, that shootout sequence, and then you guys go into a combat scene, and then there's fighting that like goes across the table and over the table. Um, how are you able to shoot in this space? Oh, that space is a set. Oh, that's interesting. It didn't even look like a set. How long did it take you to build the set? Right? And then you go, okay, so when you're doing the action fight sequence, do you shoot the master first? Is it uh, uh, a master wide and then you go in for coverage? Or are you breaking this up into pieces because uh, you don't have the talent for the master wide as far as the actor is concerned? Or, uh, oh, I see why you lit the silhouette in the master because that hides the stunt people, right? Because in the wide shot, you want to have uh, the silhouettes looking good. Right? You want to have like that full throttle punch, that sort of extended leg, that stuff that takes years and years of acrobatic training to get that most actors won't have, right? Even if you're, you know, John Wick, even if you're Keanu, that, that, that guy works super fucking hard, but there's a big difference between him and the stunt uh, woman that has been on a balance beam since she was seven years old. You know what I mean? Without a fear of death. So... It's interesting. It was fucking fascinating to sit in the room and to be able to ask those questions. And the guy that I was hanging out with was so giving and uh, such a wonderful person uh, to be in a creative space with because he's sharing and appreciative uh, and respects the work that I do. So it was just so nice, man. It was such a great fucking experience. If you can find that, if you can work towards that, because... Uh, and I even believe that if there are directors listening to the show that are older, you should really open your world up to younger filmmakers. I know through the process of the day that I had uh, with the director yesterday, it was also useful for him because I was bringing in a fresh vision, but then we started to talk about movies that I saw and he saw, and I was talking about my experiences on set and telling him how I did specific things and he was telling me how he did specific things. So the two of us were firing at all cylinders. I mean, I literally hung out with him for about six hours yesterday, just hanging. That's crazy. And it was so energizing, so energetic. I Like before I went to the thing, I had a bunch of bullshit business calls, you know, and those things really drag you the fuck down. And then you go into a meeting like that and you're like, man, this is it. This is why I'm doing this. And what made me feel so good was that he was willing to share with me and teach me and show me things. And I'm able to take a lot of his experiences and use them, like I say on the show all the time, as a footstool to step a little bit higher and understand things. And it was just so wonderful. So remember that as you're starting to feel very closed off and you're starting to feel um, very cynical about the business and you're like, I don't want to share my techniques because if I share my techniques, someone else is going to rip me off and it's bullshit, man. It's bullshit. Open your world up. Bring in some young folks. Mentor people, right? Give a little bit because you're going to change their lives. You're going to change the way that they create stuff. You might just help them get out of a funk by doing such things, right? Remember, that's 
one of the benefits of it. I know it can be such a lonely business and it can feel like the way that the business wants us to feel is everything's competitive and we're fighting with each other and we're doing all this stuff. It sucks, man. I spent so many years in that mindset and uh, it really kind of destroyed my prior company. Really destroyed my... That mindset really fucked everything up. It fucked up relationships and fucked up friendships. You start to get too intense about closing things off and making it just about you and it sucks, man. Don't do it. Open it, open your shit up. Watch how it changes your work. Watch as, how it changes how you feel daily, right? It was a good moment in the bipolar fucking experience that is uh, being a director and being a creative. It was a great moment. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, but anyway, that's it. I appreciate you listening. I got to get my act together because I have to go to another meeting. Um, but uh, I appreciate everyone listening. And, um, you know, I got a bunch of really great episodes that are recorded and ready to go. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, on This whole week has been a comic book week. So I hope you guys have enjoyed that. Um, and then uh, what do we got coming up? What do I got queued up? I've got Photographer Duo that's coming out, which is really great. Um, I've got some writers that are coming out, um, and I've got musicians lined up. There's all sorts of episodes on the way. Make sure uh, you are subscribing to us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and it will let you know exactly when the episode comes up. So when your boy is late, you expected a catch-up episode on Thursday, and you get it today, your apps will tell you. Don't worry, your phone will take care of your whole fucking life for you. Anyway, that's it. I'm rambling. I will see you guys on Tuesday with a new episode of In Love With The Process.